Amen. Praise God. Amen. Sister Dorothy was just sharing a little testimony with me of what the Lord did for her. Um, last Sunday, she came to church with a cane, using a cane, having uh, so much pain in her knee that she couldn't, she couldn't walk without a cane. She came up for prayer, and the Lord has healed her leg. And um, praise God. She's walking fine. There's no cane. There's no cane. There's no pain. Amen. We give the Lord praise for that. Thank you for sharing that with me, Sister Dorothy. Appreciate that. Amen. Appreciate that. Um, open your Bibles this morning. I'm going to try my very best to just share a few thoughts with you today before we partake of communion. And so we're going to go today to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and chapter number 11. And I want to talk to you this morning for just a few moments on another, another look, another look at the Lord's Supper. I always love communion services and uh, the times that we have communions. You know, there's no set, there's nothing said in the scripture about how often we are to take the Lord's Supper. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing said. It just says, as often as you do it. So it's kind of left up to our discretion to do it as often as we feel necessary. Some churches do it every month. Um, some do it every week. And the early church did practice the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. That um, has no saving value. It's nothing that, that these elements... Um, the juice and the bread have no saving power. You're not literally taking the literal blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are symbols of what has happened uh, 2,000 years ago. So uh, as often as we do it, as we're going to see, we're to do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what these elements are, but it's what these elements represent that is so important to us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, I want to read uh, verses 16 and 17, and then we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, and this is to the church, for we, though many, are one bread and one body. That speaks of the church, everybody that's a part of the church. This local church, yes, but the church universal. Every person that is truly born again, that has been called out the ecclesia, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here at ALFC, at Abundant Life as well, we are many, but we are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And then flip the page over to the 11th chapter in the 23rd verse, and Paul gives the instructions to the church at Corinth, and we read these every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we read these verses. But it says in verse number, uh, the 11th chapter in verse number 23, 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now Paul obviously was not present at the Last Supper with the twelve apostles and with Jesus. But he received this from the Lord. Obviously the Lord at some point had told him and revealed to him what took place on that night. God had given this to him by revelation. He said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice that. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Says it the second time. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Father, thank you today for the word of God, for this solemn occasion that we have to worship you. In song, we have to worship you with lifting up our hands in praise, but now we also worship you with the elements of the Lord's Supper, remembering what you, Jesus, have done for us. We thank you this morning for the cross, for the blood that you shed, and we pray your anointing upon this message today. Give me the words that you would have me to say to your people, and uh, Lord, we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name for all you do. And everybody said amen, amen. and amen. The Lord's Supper, as I said, is a, is a symbolic act that brings to remembrance. And this is the purpose of communion for the Lord's Supper. It's to bring to remembrance, to our remembrance, and to our mind the death, the resurrection, and the promised return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It serves us as a reminder how many... I don't know if anybody else is like me, but we need reminders sometimes, don't we? Because we have a tendency to forget. Thank God, you know, even, you know, and even with the reminders that we have on our phone and stuff, you can set a reminder and your phone will remind you, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But we, we need those reminders from time to time. And so when it comes to the death burial and resurrection of Jesus, when it comes to what Christ has done for us at Calvary, we need need to be reminded on a continual basis of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so when we have a communion time in the church and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take the bread, we take the cup, we all partake of it together, we're remembering the day when Jesus went to the cross and when he died for our sins at Calvary, shed his blood, and when he was buried and that he also rose again from the dead. So the Lord's Supper, when we partake of it, is a symbol of the eternal work of God that he did through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to the Lord's table, we cannot take his words lightly. And we're not to take this, this, um, this 
ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we're not to take it lightly either. We're, we should understand what, it's, what it means and what it represents. And the words of the Lord was, were that as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. So we need to, to uh, focus in on those words, that it is a remembrance. This is not just a religious ritual. It's something much more than just a ritual we go through. I, I think, you know, and, and, and this is just me, uh, but if you were to have this every Sunday, and some churches do, and it's just, you know, something that they go through, and it can become a just a religious ritual with people. Just something that they go through the motions, something that they do. But that's not to be the way that it is when we take the Lord's Supper. He never wanted us or intended for the Lord's Supper to be just some kind of a ritual that we observe. When we come to the Lord's table as we're doing this morning, it's a special time. Can I get an amen? It's a special time because it's a time of worship. Just as we have already worshipped, you know, through the music and through the singing and the worship team did just such an awesome job today leading us into the presence of the Lord. And just as we've spent that time in worship, it's also an act of worship as we take of this cup and this bread and we receive the benefits that Jesus has provided for us at the cross. And so when we look today at the Lord's Supper and when we think about the Lord's Supper, there are four directions that we need to look Amen? Are you listening now? Four directions that we need to look as we prepare to receive communion this morning. As we prepare to, as Paul said to that Corinthian church, to rightly discern the Lord's body. That's, what, that's, that's so important that we discern what the Lord has done for us at Calvary and receive the benefits of that. As I said, there's no saving or healing power uh, in the bread or in the juice that we partake of today, but it's what that represents. There are tremendous benefits in what this represents and what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. And what He did for us continues the benefits of that of that sacrifice at Calvary continue on to this very day today. And the problem is so many people within the church, within the body of Christ, don't realize the benefits that are ours through what Jesus did at Calvary. And we have to take up our cross. Jesus said to take up your cross daily and follow Him. And that's a receiving of daily of the benefits that Jesus died on Calvary to provide for you and to provide for me. So the first look when we come to the Lord's table is obviously we have to look back. 
we have to look back. We look back to what Jesus did. We look back to the cross. The Lord's Supper, when we look back, so the Lord's Supper then is a memorial meal. It serves as a memorial to bring to our remembrance and to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us at the cross. And I don't, I don't believe that, that you or I, I don't believe we can be reminded of this too much. We, 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 you know, we're forgetful folks and uh, we can't be reminded of this too much. So it's a memorial meal and we look back and remember how that Jesus gave himself, laid down his life unselfishly and completely for, on the cross, for the atonement of our sins. He became a sin offering so that we could be set free from sin and through His death and the shedding of His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ made atonement for all the sins of the world. Are you listening to me? Praise God. Now that, my, my, listen, that, that's some good news right there. He paid the sin debt. I mentioned this song on Wednesday night, I believe it was. He, uh, he paid a debt he did not owe. And I owed a debt that I could not pay. Hallelujah. He gave me something today. He, he, he died to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. So he, he paid the sin debt. He atoned for the sins of the world, for mine, for yours, and for the sins of the world to anyone and everyone and whosoever will, will come and receive what he did and put their faith in what he did. Amen. He didn't, Jesus did not die for just a limited few people. Amen. Jesus did not die for just the elect, so to speak, as some teach, or just for those who are predestined to be saved and not for everybody. There is no, there is no limited atonement that's taught in the Bible, in the Word of God. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody escapes that. And Jesus died for every single man, woman, boy, girl, everybody that would ever be born has the, Jesus has died for you and for everyone so that whosoever will can come and take of the waters of life freely and be born again and be saved. Amen. Amen. So as we look back to the cross, we look at the elements of communion and the bread and the juice represent, of course, what? The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body was broken and beaten and, and, and striped there, you know, for... Um, uh, for, uh, for you and for me... Um, 
The blood was shed. The blood of Jesus was shed. And it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's so important for us to understand the manner or the way in which Jesus died because he wasn't suffocated or anything like that. He shed his blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There had to be the shedding of his blood. And his blood is so such precious blood. It was pure blood. It was sinless blood. It was spotless blood. I like to talk about the blood because the devil don't like to hear about the blood. Amen. Any chance or opportunity that I get to upset the devil, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to take it this morning because he doesn't like to hear about the blood. But his body was broken and, and beaten and bruised and whipped and striped and the blood was shed. It was such a cruel death that Jesus died there on Calvary to take your place and mine. But when he died and shed his blood there, he opened wide the gates of salvation that whoever wants to receive him can come and enter freely and have their sins washed away. So when we pass out our ushers, when they today pass out to you the wafer, which represents the body of the Lord Jesus, and when they give you the cup of the fruit of the vine, of the juice, which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are to remember what happened at the cross and what Jesus did for us there. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before. There, there was not any... There was not any death that was as, as painful, as gruesome as the death by crucifixion. And it was the Lord who became the sin offering for you and me. It was, it was me and it was you who needed to be on that cross. And in Christ we were, but He became our substitute to die there for us so that we can be saved. So we have to remember that of what He did at Calvary. You know, Jesus was so big beaten before even before he was nailed to the cross, the crown of thorns, the beating that he took, the whipping that he endured there at the whipping post when it said that Pilate turned him over to the Roman soldiers for him to be scourged. And um, the whipping that he took at that whipping post, the Bible says concerning Jesus that his visage was so marred that he didn't even resemble a man. That is what he went through physically for you and I in the shedding of his blood. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that. Isaiah also prophesied in Isaiah 53. Of course, we're all very familiar with Isaiah 53 that he was, Jesus was wounded for our what? For our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, his wounds, his bruises, we are healed. Somebody said, does that include physical healing? It's healing of every sort. It's healing of your spirit. It's healing for your soul. It's healing for your mind. It's healing for your emotions. It's healing for your body. He purchased it all at the cross of Calvary when he took our place there. Can I get an amen? 
Hallelujah. We've got to remember some of the things about the cross that Jesus, Jesus left heaven to take on, uh, to, 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 to be incarnate in a human body. He became poor, the Bible says, that we might be made rich. And I know people take that and say that, oh, well, we can be wealthy. But I'm going to tell you, the riches that he's talking about are riches of his grace that he's made. Listen, I made this statement here not too long ago. I think everybody in this service this morning, it doesn't matter what your bank statement says. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you have been washed in His blood, you are wealthy today. You are rich in the things of the Lord. He bore our sins, Peter said, in his own body on the tree that we now being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Praise God in quoting that Peter said and by whose stripes you were healed. Amen. He's looking back. Peter was looking back to the cross that it's paid for. It's a done deal. It's already been accomplished. It is finished today. And all you and I have to do is to receive the benefits of the cross. Amen. He shed his blood for our redemption. He conquered death for us forever. And he ascended back. He rose from the dead and ascended back and was seated at the right hand of Almighty God. And there he sits today as your intercessor, as your mediator, as your Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God. He's alive and well today. Amen. And he is there to make sure that every, everything that he bought and paid for at Calvary is, is, is going to be given to those who claim those promises and who put their faith in him. Amen? Thank God. Somebody say, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you just a partial list this morning of some of the things that the blood of Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. It was the price. The blood of Jesus was the price to purchase us from the powers of darkness. Acts 20, 28 and Colossians 1, 13 and 14. The blood of Jesus justifies us, makes us righteous before God, gives us right standing in the presence of God. Romans 5 and 9. The blood of Jesus sanctifies us. Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. The blood of Jesus redeemed us. Ephesians 1 and 7 and Revelation 5 and 9. To redeem means to buy back out of the slave market. I was a slave to the devil, but Jesus paid the price to redeem me from the hand of the enemy through his blood. The blood of Jesus brought us near to God. Ephesians 2.13 The blood of Jesus even purged our conscience. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 The blood of Jesus provided remission and forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9.22 The blood of Jesus gives us boldness to enter the holy of holies into the very presence of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1 and 7 and the blood of Jesus defeats and overcomes and nullifies all the power of the devil that he would bring against us. Hallelujah. And that's Revelation 12 and 11. I think we need to praise the Lord today for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ today. Woo. 
Hallelujah. My, 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 my. Amen. So we look back. We look back at what he's done. But then the second look is we have to look within. I better rush through this. We have to look within. And that's part of communion as well. That's what we do. It's a time that Paul said in verse 28 there, that 11th chapter, but let a man, what? Examine himself. The communion is a time of self-examination. Notice that. You're not to examine your neighbor. You're not to examine somebody else and say, well, they really need... You know, we're, we're good at doing that. Well, I hope so-and-so's here today because they really need this message. You need this message. I need this message. Amen? So he said that we are to examine ourselves. What does he mean by that? He means that we're to examine our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to take time for introspection. We're to take time to look at our hearts. We're to take time to ask the Holy Spirit to search us and to see. You know, David prayed. David prayed, Lord, try me, search me, examine me, see if there's anything in there, you know, that's not pleasing to you. Even as Christians, we need to have times of of self-examination to see, to make sure we're in the faith. Paul told that, uh, said that to the, uh, was it the Romans of the Corinthians? One, but he said, he said, He said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So we need to understand that there's a time of looking within. How are we living? What are we doing with our lives? Are we we striving? The Lord spoke to us through tongues and interpretation this morning that we're to offer our bodies, our lives to Jesus, to Him as a living sacrifice. That's a total commitment to the Lord. Do we put Him first? Are we totally committed to Him? So those are some things that we need to look at when we examine ourselves, It's looking deep into our hearts. Notice what he said. Paul said, let a man examine himself. And, verse 28, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he, verse 29 says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. This was within the church. Many were weak and sick and many sleep. In other words, there had some that there were some that had even died prematurely because they did did not examine themselves first before they took communion. That's how. Now, now I'm not trying to scare anybody off and, and say to you, well, now, if you take communion, you've got a sin in your heart, you might die. That's not what Paul was talking about. He was dealing with those mainly that were a part of this Corinthian church. There were wheat, there was wheat in that church, and there were tares in that church. Is anybody listening to me? And so there were those within the church that were saved and just like all churches and I've said this before there are people that are saved in every church and there are people that are not saved in every church my prayer would be that everybody in Abundant Life Family Church would be saved come on somebody 
I trust that you are. But see, I can't listen as the pastor unless the Lord would, would, would discern it to me. I can't look in your heart and see what's in there. I can't look at That's why it's not me examining Mark or Mark examining me. It's not me saying, okay, you can take communion, but you can't. That's not what it is. It's everybody examining their own heart and examining their own life and examining their self to make sure number one, that you really do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are saved. And somebody said, well, how do I know that? Listen, if you are saved, you know you are saved. Amen? There's a, there's a, there's a witness that's given of the Spirit that we know. The Bible says His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we know that we're sons and daughters of God. We know that we are the children of God. We don't Listen, we don't have to wait until we die and stand before the Lord to find out. And some people live that kind of a life. They're, they're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not, but when I stand before the Lord, He'll let me know whether I made it or not, whether I've done enough good things or not. You can't do enough good things. You can't do enough good works to, have, to, to get entrance into heaven. It's not by what you do. It's by what He already did on the cross of Calvary. It's your faith in His finished work today. Amen? Amen. Woo! So you don't have to wait. You can know right now. And see if there's somebody in this service today that would say, well, preacher, I don't know for sure that if I, if I died today, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven or not. Well, you need, to, you need to get that settled before you leave this service today. Right now would be a good time, amen, to make that right. So it's an acknowledging of our sins. It's an examining of ourselves. It's humbly asking for forgiveness if there's any unconfessed sin in your life. What do you do if we confess our sins? First John 1, 9, what, what is it, what, what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a time of examination. When a person who is a Christian refuses to take the Lord's Supper and they're, they're you know, they're, they're not willing to examine themselves, if they refuse to do that, because there's something in their heart or something in their life that, that is not right and they know that they're doing something that's sinful and they examine themselves, and the Holy Spirit puts His finger on it and He will do that, will He not? And He puts His finger on it and says, right there, that's the thing. You need to repent of that, ask forgiveness, and stop doing that. And then there's some people, yeah, that's the key right there, and stop doing it. And, and there's so many people, though, that are look at that and, and, and the Holy Spirit dealing with them, they say, I just can't turn that loose. But we have to. Because listen, so, so what do some people do? And I've, I've known them to do this in the past. You know, people would, would know they had something in their heart that wasn't pleasing. They didn't want to turn it loose. They didn't want to make something right with, a, with one of their brothers or sisters in Christ. And, and so they would just not take communion. They'd just say, well, I'm not going to take communion because there's something in my heart that's not right. But can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? The thing in your heart that would, that would prevent you from taking communion 
could also prevent you from making heaven your home. It would stand between you and the Lord. So the thing about the examination is to make sure that if there's something there, it just takes a moment to repent and to ask for that forgiveness and to get it washed away by the blood of Jesus. Amen? He said, listen, the commandment, the commandment that Paul gave there is for everybody that is saved in the church, everybody that is in the church that is truly born again, his commandment is for all of us to partake communion together. Amen. Every born-again believer is to partake. He didn't say, let a man examine himself, and if he's not where he needs to be, then don't take it. He said, let everyone examine themselves, and so let him eat. In other words, you're examining yourself, and you're making things right, and you're getting cleansing by the blood, and you're establishing the fact that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and then you can freely partake of communion, remembering that it's not about you, but it's about what he did at the cross of Calvary. I'm about to have, I'm about to have a Holy Ghost spell. We may just have, we just may have tent revival. I can't help but get excited when I get to talking about Jesus and what he did at Calvary. Amen? So we look back and then we look within, but then we look around. What do you mean we look around? Notice what he said in that 10th chapter, 17th verse. I read this to you. For we being many, Paul said, we being many are one bread and one body. So here he's talking about our relationship with others. So not only do we examine ourselves and look within to make sure our relationship is where it needs to be with him, but we also need to look around and make sure that our relationship with our brothers and sisters in the church and in Christ is where that it needs to be as well. Do you realize that your relationship with other people is a great factor as well? Amen? See, there was a problem in the Corinthian church. The problem that was in the Corinthian church was, the main problem was, there was just a lot of division in that church. They were a spirit-filled church they were a Pentecostal church because they had the gifts of the Spirit operating, but there was confusion and there was division there. And so Paul addressed that in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul said, I've gotten word from those from the house of Chloe. Now, we don't know who Chloe was other than she's my great-granddaughter, but other than that... We don't know who Chloe was, but Chloe was someone that was a part of that Corinthian church. Some people from her home went to where the Apostle Paul was and told Paul, said there's some division there in the church at Corinth. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians to, to bring them back into unity. There was problems with their operation in the gifts of the Spirit. There was, there was fussing and feuding and different things going on within that church. And it was a huge church. There were, there were a, a vast number of people that had come into that church and had been born again. But, but the Apostle Paul was dealing with the issue of their division. And the way that they observed the Lord's Supper, that division entered into the way that they observed the Lord's Supper. And the Lord wasn't pleased. Now, are, are you all still with me now? 
It's a little bit quiet, but that's okay because I, I believe you got your ears on. You're listening. Everybody listening? But when they came together as a church, Paul even said, and this is an amazing statement that he made. It's amazing to me because when we come together as a church, how many knows we are supposed to come together? We're not supposed to just, you know, just be one person says, I am the church within myself. We are supposed to come together as the church. And, and Paul said, when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. Can you imagine that? That, that, that? that a church was so divided that when they come together, it was not for good, but it was for bad. Their things were messed up. What was happening was they, they had an observance in that early church called the love feast. Anybody ever, ever you know, did any study on that? But they had what they called the love feast. It was a fellowship dinner where the church would all come together and they would all bring food, kind of like we're doing today. Come on, this was appropriate for today, I guess. And they would all bring food in and they would eat together and they would have a feast together. And then they would, after that feast, they would take communion. But here's what was happening. There was rich folks in the church that didn't care. And as I said, this was a large congregation. There were wealthy folks in the church that didn't care anything at all about the poor folks that were in the church. And how many knows that the church is made up of all classes of people? Amen. There's, there's rich and there's poor. There's bond and there's free. But they're all one in Jesus. And so the rich folks was bringing their food in. Man, they're bringing in prime rib, you know, and, and all these fine dishes, you know. And they're sitting over there and they're all just gorging and eating. And the poor guy over here was bringing a baloney sandwich. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm trying to make this as plain as I can. He had a little sack lunch over here, and here's this group over here that's, that's, that's just eating good and high on the hog, and they won't share. Come on with me. They won't share any of their stuff with that poor bunch over here. They say, this is mine. I brought it, and no, you can't have none of it. And so Paul said, you're coming together for the worst. There was a division vision there. Can you see that? That's not the way things supposed to be. I'm not going to bring something from home today and say, this is mine. No, you can't have none of it. Somebody's going to bring some fish today, but they're going to share it with everybody. Come on, somebody say amen. Woo! But that sharing wasn't going on. Are you following me? Are you seeing what I'm saying? That sharing wasn't going on. There was divisions there. They looked down. Listen, the, the, the well-to-do was looking down upon those that were poor. Amen? They, they, they didn't want nothing to do with one another. There was division. There was separation. And Paul said, that's why when you come together, it's not for good, it's for bad. He said, you, then you come to the Lord's table and you take communion. And they'd been said, there was some, listen, there was some that was maybe even in that church that wasn't saved because I can't imagine the Christians doing this, but there was some was bringing in some, some, some Morgan David and bringing in, you know, some, uh, some uh, uh, I don't know, some wine and drink and alcohol. And in those love feasts, Paul said some of them were even getting drunk. And then there's coming to the Lord's table full of division, full of strife, looking down on their brother, even drinking and coming to the Lord's table drunk. And Paul said, you're not rightly deserting the Lord's body. You're all one. You're all one. There's got to be unity. 
body of Christ. He said, we're all one bread and we're all one blood. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. Is that right? Nobody's any better than anybody else. Amen? So that's what was going on here in this church. So Paul said, it's imperative that you get things right with your brother. He said that, that you be... You, you, you being many are one bread and one body. So there's got to be the, <laughs> the look back to the cross, then the look within to examine ourselves, then the look around to make sure that we're right with everybody else. I, I talked about it Wednesday night. Get Wednesday nights. Get Wednesday nights CD. Because we dealt with forgiveness on Wednesday night, and it's such a vitally important thing that we must forgive if we have aught against anyone. There can be no unforgiveness in our hearts. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. So right now is the time to look in our hearts and look around and say, well, am I right with everybody, Lord? Am I right with everybody because I'm getting ready to go to your table and I don't want to have any unforgiveness or be at aught with anybody within the body of Christ. Paul told the Colossian church, he said, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, you need to forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, so must we forgive. Amen. Amen. Are, are, are you with me? So what have we done here? We've looked back to the cross to understand the benefits. We've looked within to search our hearts. We're looking around to make sure we're right with everybody else. But then the last look, the fourth look, the last look is that we look ahead to the event that's next to come because Paul said that, Paul said that in communion, we show forth the Lord's death until He comes. So Paul included, Paul included the coming of the Lord in the Lord's Supper. Did you ever, did you ever notice that before? Did you ever think about that? So not only, oh, hallelujah. Is it warm in here or is it, or is it just me up here? I'm feeling warm. But, but, but listen, it's not just a looking back, but the cross includes the fact that not only, listen, in the cross, not only have we been justified, sanctified, but we are also going to be glorified. Ooh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something, church. The best is yet to come. Are you listening? I said the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. That's the fourth look is we look ahead to the fact that Jesus is coming back. When we take the communion, remember what He did for you, but remember also that He's coming back. And that at that rapture, at that resurrection, you will get a brand new body. That this is not all we have to look to. There is the glorification of the saints that is coming at the rapture. And can I tell you something? I'm, I'm going to keep on 
gonna, I'm going to keep on hitting it. I'm going to keep on pounding on it. Somebody said, well, people don't believe it anymore, but listen to this preacher today. Listen to me as I speak by the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Jesus Christ is coming back for His church. Hallelujah. When he, when he ascended there from Mount Olivet, all of those that were standing there were looking and they were just amazed to see him ascend to heaven. There were two angels standing there. And the angel said to them, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus, amen. Not another one, not one like him, but this same Jesus that you see going into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you see him go away. Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, if I go, did he go? Yes, he did. If I go and prepare a place for you, I shall come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Hallelujah! He's coming back. We're looking forward to what Jesus has got for us in store. Amen? For the Lord himself, Paul went on to tell the church at Thessalonica, for the Lord himself, same thing the angel says, this same Jesus, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And when he does this, listen, this is the next event on the prophetic calendar. Somebody said, what's coming up next in Bible prophecy? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with that voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we point at yourself and said, me, we, all of us who are in Christ, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. Hallelujah. Woo, he's coming back soon. Amen? Amen. Oh, ushers, come on, ushers. Let's, I, gotta, I could preach all afternoon, but we got to get this communion. We got to receive the elements. Amen. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, Jesus said that as it was in the days of Noah, how many remember that verse? As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I don't know. You don't have to have a whole lot of spiritual perception to, to turn your news on and see that we are in the days of Noah. What is that, Brother Rick? What are the in the days of Noah? Of course, the imagination of men's hearts, the Bible said, was always evil continually. 
mankind had so corrupted himself that God had to send judgment on the earth. Jesus said that as it was in those days, it will be right before the Lord comes back. In the days of Lot, how many knows what was going on in the days of Lot? How many knows what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? And I know you get criticized for saying these things, but God destroyed the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah simply because there was a lot of sin and iniquity going on there, but the main sin that God dealt with there was homosexuality and lesbianism. Are you listening to me? Because that is a sin. God loves the people, but that is a sin that He hates. We see that on every, every TV show. It's being promoted. That's their agenda to be accepted. And that is the way it was in the days of Lot. When those angels came to Solomon and Gomorrah and knocked on Lot's door and went in, those, listen, listen, those evil, wicked men of Sodom wanted to have sexual relations with those angels. That is the spirit that is pervading this earth today. Jesus is getting ready to come back for His church. He's coming back. He's coming back. There's there's a cure for homosexuality just as there is a cure for drug addiction and there's a cure for um, adultery and fornication. There's a cure for alcoholism and that cure is found in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! Somebody said, will Jesus accept me the way I am? He will, but He'll change you. He won't leave you the way that you are. He'll make you new. Amen. All right.